The High Files podcast does not encourage, support, or condone the use of any substance, legal or illegal. We only encourage free thinking, which may or may not lead to the use of a substance. This program is intended for education, harm reduction, and the exposure of prohibition. Setting your intention. If you fire up Google and type in the words define psychedelic, you will receive the following result. Definition number one relating to or denoting drugs, especially LSD, that produce hallucinations and apparent expansion of consciousness. Notice how the word apparent is thrown in prior to expansion of consciousness. Apparent is one of those funny words that has contradictory meanings. It can either mean clearly obvious, or it can mean appearing to be obvious, but most likely bullshit. Since the search engine begins the definition with clunky talk about drugs and LSD before lazily tacking on the consciousness bit at the end, I think it's safe to say the author of the definition is using the latter meaning of apparent. In other words, the hippies all say these drugs are blowing their minds, but in reality it's probably just frying their brains. This does the word psychedelic a huge disservice. If we instead look at the etymology of the word, we can find a much wider and existential definition. Psyche means the soul, mind, or spirit, while delos or delo means to clear, to show, to make manifest. Taken this way, a psychedelic experience is an experience that reveals the mind or reveals the soul. When I think about it this way, I've already had some psychedelic experiences. If I had to put my finger on my first psychedelic experience, it would have nothing to do with drugs. I was a small boy, about eight or nine years old. My stepdad at that time worked at a dye manufacturing plant. Now, I don't mean the kind of dye that's used to add color to things, but instead a big metal rolling dye designed to cut out patterns. A lot of these dyes were used to cut sheets of stickers. And since my stepdad worked in the QA department, he would have to run sheets of sticker paper through one side of the dye and then make sure the cuts coming out the other end were accurate. The sample sheets would then be thrown away and the dye would be put into production. But my stepdad didn't throw the samples away. Instead, he would bring home sheet after sheet of free stickers and give them to us kids. I remember receiving a long sheet of metallic gold stickers with the alphabet cut out numerous times in a row. When I got this sheet of stickers, I peeled off six of them and stuck them on a bookshelf next to my bed. They spelled out my name, Jordan. I went on vandalizing many more objects with stickers, most of which I was promptly told to remove, but the name on my bookshelf remained. Many months went by without me paying any attention to the stickers, and then one morning I woke up in bed and looked over at my bookshelf, 
Jordan, I thought to myself. The word, for some unexplained reason, had lost its meaning. It was just stickers, a mishmash of randomly selected letters from a sticker sheet. It wasn't me. I'm not a Jordan. Why was I named Jordan? Why didn't my parents choose a different name? Wouldn't any of them have worked just as well? So if I'm not a Jordan, who am I? Although I didn't have an answer at the time, the disassociation was important. Moreover, the thought was spontaneous. It came along out of the clear blue morning. It was as if more of my mind and a piece of my soul had been revealed where it was previously muddled. Psychedelic. But if I had gone to school the next day and proclaimed to my friends, I'm not my name, I'm not my name, they would have looked at me like I had a dick growing out of my forehead. However, had I sauntered into the nearest Buddhist temple or intro to philosophy class and said, I'm not my name, the likely response of the people in the room would have been, duh. The difference between those two hypothetical responses is because None of the kids in my class had a similar experience, yet the monks, and on an intellectual level, the intro to philosophy students did. With that in mind, the writer of the Google definition does not sound like they are a true believer by slipping in the word apparent before expansion of consciousness. However, the anecdotal evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of this being the case and is supported by scientific research, more of which is coming in every day. Yes, I, I am very bored by spiritual practice unless I've taken a psychedelic and then, you know, mantric chanting is beyond the power of mind to encompass or describe. Sex isn't bad either. And one of the dramatic characteristics of the psychedelic experience is being with another person and suddenly seeing the ways in which they are like you, not different from you, and experiencing the fact, well, yes, indeed, we are brothers in the true sense of that which is essence in you and which is essence in me is indeed one. And the, the best parts of psychedelic experiences are the learning parts. It sounds like so boring to people yeah. because they think like oh no I thought I was gonna see amazing things yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. gonna watch elephants fly and it was gonna be yeah. you know mad hallucinations which yeah does occur sometimes sure. but that's that's not what it's really about what it's really about is about a, a learning experience it's about agree. massive leaps in development of your yeah. personality and your psyche your worldview your personal view I got involved with maps's research when I was looking for um, alternative help for my PTSD. I went through war and I was able to find healing. So by sharing my story and the things that I went through and even as embarrassing as some of them might be in the, uh, the book, it's, it's for a good cause. And I really feel like the information that's presented in this book, by the time you get done reading it, you feel like, why is this not legal? God knows what amazing thoughts people could be coming up with if uh, there was re regulated psychedelics that, and we got to explore them to understand how to really use them and how to really fucking uh, harness them to uh, make us smarter. 
You know, this is something that's the uh, birthright of humanity. All indigenous tribes have some form of psychedelic that they take. This is like the ancient people of the earth knew about this peyote, ayahuasca. Yet somehow in the modern age, they're keeping us from this experience that maybe is the thing that connected the Native Americans to the earth that you were talking about in the beginning. We have a specific creed. We do not leave someone behind. So now that I'm home and I'm not in a war anymore, I can't just leave people behind. It's not, I'm not just going to close my eyes and allow things to happen when I know that MDMA, medical marijuana, and other things can help, if not cure, some symptoms. Today I want to tell you about research with the classic psychedelic psilocybin that's showing that under supported conditions psilocybin can occasion mystical type experiences associated with enduring positive changes in attitudes, mood, and behavior. The results are fascinating in their own right, have implications for medical therapeutics and implications as well for the nature of consciousness and ethics and altruism. That first experience was painful. I mean, I felt physical pain, raw, guttural, sobbing emotion. And it really was my life. You know, it wasn't like I was in some, you know, fantasy. This was my life. And as hard as it was then, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I needed to see that. The second session almost felt more like a reward for my hard work. <laughs> that experience was bright and light and hope. The difference is the experience. That's why the Google definition is so watered down. Clearly the writer is sober as a judge. Their consciousness is limited. They have not had the experience of consciousness expanding through drugs. So it is simply apparent, more likely than not, to be bullshit. Terrence McKenna put it this way. My thing is not about my opinion or what I saw in Africa or anything like that. Get it straight. This is about an experience, not my experience, your experience. It's about an experience which you have, like getting laid or like going to Africa. You must do the experience. So why is this the way I've chosen to open an episode about the psychedelic experience? By playing dictionary jujitsu. It's because I'm full of bullshit. I haven't had the quintessential substance-induced psychedelic experience. Sure, I've experimented. A teeny tiny bit of acid when I was 17. A bit of a mushroom before seeing the Matrix. And another bit of mushroom mixed into a chocolate some years later. Some colors brightened. Some 2D images popped briefly into three-dimensional perception. But it was just child's play. No set intention. No courage required. I'm full of bullshit. But now is different. Now I stand on the precipice, set to intentionally throw the stone of a much higher dose into the unfathomed sinkhole of my consciousness. But why do this? Why go into the water when treading the beach has sufficed for 34 years? I submit to you two reasons. First, I crave the mystical experience. As a believer in Christ and his legacy, I know there's more than meets the eye to life. The mysterious grace of God has not cut me off from life, but expanded it. It was Graham Hancock who once said, 
A mystery is not that which is unknowable, but that which is infinitely knowable. Many of my Christian brothers and sisters are in perpetual waiting mode. They believe if they could just suffer through the muck and mire of this existence, they will achieve their reward on the other side. And I believe they will. But I also believe we don't have to wait for eternity. We're in eternity right now. It may not feel like paradise at times, but it is God's creation. And so is the twilight sky. And so is the autumn breeze. And so is the honeybee. And so are mushrooms. The psalmist wrote of God's mystery. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. More than can be told. An experience. Something that's concrete to the initiated, but merely apparent to those who haven't had the experience for themselves. The second reason I'm embarking on this experience, and this is a little bit more of a selfish motive, I suppose, but it's to satisfy my stifled pioneer spirit, to explore the unknown. I'm a suburban dad who begrudgingly, though thankfully, works in IT. I make enough to pay the bills with just a fraction left that could be called extra. I've made my bed and I'll lie in it for now. This isn't a pity party for me. But let's face it, I'm not going on an Antarctic trek anytime soon, nor is it likely that I'll uncover the next great archaeological secret buried deep in the jungle, and it's all but impossible that I'll carry out a mission on the International Space Station. But I have heard the tales of the Psychonauts. They speak of an inner vastness, an ever-present hidden dimension, beauty and terror beyond the stuff of dreams. But these uncharted waters do not require a plane ticket. No passport is needed. All that's required to cross this threshold is a chemical key. A key that grows naturally. A key inside of the mushroom. And although this may be a somewhat selfish motive, I think it's a part of the human spirit. Theodore Roosevelt articulated it in this way. Far better is it to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much, because they live in a gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. I approach this experience with reverence. I approach this experience with trepidation. And on the other side, we shall affix a suitable definition to the word psychedelic, for myself and hopefully for this audience. Strap in, high filers. This is an incredible journey. The greatest adventure is there if you're bold. Let go of the moment that life makes you whole. Pleasure, the meaning, can make you delay. Time you stop thinking and wasting the day.
thee Who thinks of a world that is just make-believe Will never know passion, will never know pain Who sits by the window will one day see rain Step 2. Mitigating the Risks also known as harm reduction. This is either going to be an incredible journey or the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> okay. All right, high filers. So I'm actually just consuming the last of this uh, new sacrament right now. And I'm with my buddy Chris. We'll Hello. Keep, we'll keep the last name out of it. Okay. Um, but the most important thing to talk about is why I'm with my buddy Chris. Other than just hanging out, what I'm doing with this psychedelic experience, you should always have somebody called a trip sitter. Chris, do you think you could explain what a trip sitter is since you are being the trip sitter? Uh, I, from what I, my, uh, I guess my interpretation of that would be a sober or at least semi-sober enough person who can be the responsible one in the situation and help keep the person sort of grounded or at least uh, keep them from doing something that might harm them or introduce the law or somebody in this situation that doesn't need to be. Absolutely, yeah. And it's important that you have somebody that you trust because... One of the reference books I brought over was The Psychedelic Experience. This is the old, you know, 60s or 70s, Timothy Leary and uh, Richard Alpert, Ralph Metzner, Guide to Tripping Your Balls Off, basically. Okay. You know? And, uh, but Timothy Leary is the one that really champions set and setting. Right. Set meaning your mindset. So, like, if I just had a fight with my wife and was really mad, it would not be a good time to go on this voyage, mm. you know? Or if I was unemployed and worried about making ends meet, not a good time. Those are the things that lead to bad trips. Right. Or your setting is bad, meaning uh, you're at, like, a rock concert. You know, not to say there's anything wrong with rock concerts, (laughs) but, you know, the next thing you know, you're around a wave full of people. You can't even move around. It's dark. It's loud. It's confusing. You know, that would be a bad setting. Yeah. Or... Um, I don't know, you're at work. <laughs> that would be a bad system. Somewhere that necessitates a level of responsibility that yeah, yeah that right. would uh, mess with what you're trying to do. So nature is supposed to be pretty good. Right. But since we live in a country with popo, uh-huh. and they're out looking to arrest people for having uh, natural medicines with them, mm-hmm. um, that could be a bad setting too. Unless you feel pretty comfortable in nature. So instead, what we're doing is we're at Chris's place, which is a nice, comfortable setting, and a person that I trust, so my mindset, I'm hoping, you know, will be just fine. Um, It's not a stranger or anything like that. And so set and setting are extremely important to make sure that you're going to have a good trip. And then also, Chris, I told you to look up the Zindo Project. Do you remember looking up the Zindo Project? Yeah, you sent me a link. Uh, I did not get to look through it, but you have brought it along here. Yeah, all I brought the printed out material. 
basically what they have done is they've set up a project where they go to festivals uh-huh. and set up like a safety tent. Yes. You know, so that people can come in and just have a place to trip safely if things start to go awry. Um, so this is like our Zendo right now. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that they do is they train staff on how it should be handled. Because the worst people to handle somebody with a bad trip are cops and paramedics and hospital staff, you know? Yeah. Um, really what you need is somebody who's calm and says that the things that are happening to you are fine, they're natural, yeah. not trying to get you out of that state. And um, police and paramedics and people like that sort of represent a threat mm-hmm. to exactly. the entire experience. So, the Zendo Project's also cool, though, because they make this training manual for the people that they train available online. Uh-huh. So, what I did, that's where I got that training manual, is I printed it out uh, from the interwebs. It's really well lined out, you know. Yeah, they've, they've organized, really taken it to a professional level. Yeah. Can I read you a couple things? Sure, out yeah. Please do. All right. So... They have broken it down very concisely. Even though this is like a 30-page manual, I think the real uh, meat of it is in a couple core concepts that they have. Of course, it talks about the physiological effects. Like, the physiological effects I'm expecting from this are a feeling of being cold, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, General sensory arousal, meaning... Colors are more vivid, things yep. like that. You can smell things maybe more. And then they also say that you might get a bit of a runny nose, and that's just a side effect from the plant. Mm-hmm. So if I need a tissue, I might need a tissue. Right. <laughs> spot. So it covers the physiological stuff, but mainly what we're considered or concerned with are the uh, psychological effects. Oh, the other mindset is to have an intention or the thing about your mindset. Like, do it for a reason. Yeah. Don't just do it for, you know, ooh, The Matrix is a cool movie. It'd be even cooler. Oh, true. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I'll talk in this first part of the episode about all my intentions. Right. I guess I could use the table of contents. Yes. I, when I have taken them for... My only intention was getting fucked up like my friends were. Right. And I don't think that that's necessarily the most healthy way to approach it. Well, it, this uh, experience is supposed to be like a vessel, you know, but mm-hmm. you're constructed. Your mind is the the construct. At least that's the the uh, design that Leary and... And Albert and all those guys. Yeah, that they, that's the way they approach it. Yeah, well, if you look at this other book I brought, uh, some other people approach it that way, too. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> yeah. With much success. Right. Okay, apparently I am incapable of finding anything in this. Do you want me to look through it? It's okay. Can we, let's, let's set a time marker for how far you are in now. Oh, so I finished the last one about... 10 minutes ago. Okay. So I probably started chomping on him 15 points. Something like that, yeah. And we were talking, so I lost right. track. Anyway, alright, so there's one thing I wanted to highlight. Oh, here we go, here we go. I found, it's on page, it's on the first page. It's on the, the first table page. of contents. And, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, and also there is a table of contents. And I highlight, I use the highlighter. 
forgot this. And I forgot that. All right. Create a safe space. Check. Thank you, Lindsay. You're welcome. Sitting, not guiding. So the idea is that you're very susceptible to everything that happens because everything is so intense. So the concept of a guide is not a good concept because this is, I will steer the journey myself. Mm -hmm. You know, like my own mind will steer me into where I need to be. It knows what's up. Um, so you, if you had some douchebag, you know, that was trying to be your guide, right? Oh, you know what? You're remembering a childhood memory. No, steer away from that. You know, think about rainbows and unicorns and stuff. Well, maybe I don't need to think about rainbows and unicorns. Stop guiding. Right. So the idea is, you're just sitting there. All you're doing is keeping the safe space or the the space safe and making sure I'm okay. And that's it. That's all you really got to do. It's yeah. Job. It's a hands off kind yeah. of thing. Now here, if I start freaking out, that's when we get into you have a little bit more of a job. But this is what I like what the Zendo Project says is talk through, not down. Right. So one of the things that I'm actually worried about is that I'm going to hallucinate like I'm going to hell because I'm, you know, come from a Christian background. Uh-huh. And if my thoughts start to go that way, it could, right? Right. So if I'm like, oh my God, Chris, I see the devil. Talking down would be, no, you don't. You just took, you know, some magic mushrooms. Don't worry. They're going to wear off in, you know, an hour and a half. That's not good because really what you want to do, or because then I'll start thinking, oh my god, all right, all I got to do is get through this hour and a half of looking at the devil. Yeah, you know, and And then you've got an hour and a half of devil. (laughs) I'll keep looking at the devil. So instead, talking through, ask me questions. Mm -hmm. All right, what does the devil look like? You know, what uh, what do you think? You know, he's there for. Yeah, and then that will help you realize what you're actually seeing, which is your own. Projection. Projection, you right. know. And so that's the idea, is to get you through the experience. Um, and it ties in with the last one. Difficult is not the same as bad. Like, apparently there are some uh, people that have difficult trips where it might be end up being a cathartic experience after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe they blocked out um, their parent getting in a car accident or something like that, right? They relive that car accident, but in a different way that now they don't feel bad or frightened by it. Yeah, so it opened up that door that they've had closed for so long. Exactly. It became a healthy experience. Yeah. Even though at the time it felt pretty intense. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no such thing as a bad trip is what that's pretty much saying. They're they're difficult to deal with trips. That's a good way to look at it, too, because it can be a pretty heavy thing to deal with, and I've been there. By the way, I might, if you hear me, like, crying or something, uh-huh. or if I start crying, that could be good or bad. Yeah. I could, you know, there's some people that report that on uh, certain psychedelic drugs, they see the most beautiful things they've ever seen. Yeah. Well, that might make you pretty emotional if you see, you know, this yeah. incredible beauty that you've never seen before. And I come from the school of thought that crying is never really a bad thing. Yeah. It's pretty healthy, even when you're not doing this kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Oh, so, I agree too. Yeah. yeah, it's a release for sure. Yeah. You should every tension and, should ever. Release. And bottling that stuff up is super bad for you. Yeah. That so, so that's our little brief tour through the uh, Zendo guide gotcha. for harm reduction. I talked the, about the abbreviated s- version. <laughs> so this psychedelic experience book, it 
gets a little crazy because it's mapped onto the Tibetan Book of the Dead or whatever. Oh, boy. So let's let's go ahead and read a passage just so people can get a sample of it. They say that there's these different stages and it's got a whole how to use this manual. And I think if you were really invested in it, you could do, you know, well with it. But you guys are about to get a taste of the uh, intensity. I'll use my name since I'm the one. Okay. (laughs) But it's supposed to be as if someone were reading it to me. All right. Gotcha. All right. Oh, Jordan, the time has come for you to seek new levels of reality. Your ego and the Jordan game are about to cease. You're about to be set face-to-face with the clear light. You're about to experience it in its reality. In the ego-free state, wherein all things are like the void and cloudless sky, and the naked, spotless intellect is like a transparent vacuum. At this moment, know yourself and abide in that state. So we want you to shed your ego completely. <laughs> yeah. So that's the whole... But it says know yourself, so what... Saying the ego's not you. Yeah. You're... It's the... the one of the people that wrote the book had this really... You are not your concept of yourself. Right. Yeah. It's in Fight Club they go, You're not your fucking khaki. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That thing. But he the author of the book had a really good way of explaining it too. He said, There's the you that sets the alarm at night uh-huh. and then there's the you that says, Who the fuck set this alarm in the morning? You right. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good yeah. But they're both you. Exactly. So the idea of the ego though is that there's a you that's behind right. the ego. But it's not like another level of you. It's the realization that we're all the same. Yeah, and the alarm thing is like, before your ego kicks in and realizes, like, oh yeah, it's that me person that said the alarm. Like, that's the real you before you turn everything on. Well, here's another way. And become this, like, this whatever it is, this... I don't, I'm having a hard time putting words to it. They but say, uh, they say uh, you know, that having an ego is like putting on like a spacesuit uh-huh. or whatever. You know, it's like, hey, we're on Earth. We need our ego suit to survive and navigate, you know, yeah. and get everything. Just like you need that suit when you're in space, yeah. but the suit is not you. Right. You know, you're inside the suit. Uh-huh. That's it. I think I feel a little bit of a thing. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that you do. It doesn't take long. All right, so the last thing to cover is uh, a few... I need a pen. Um, we have... A few technical points. Okay. Thank you. So, a few technical points. Notice on the back of the Zendo manual, I wrote this really big. <laughs> yeah. But you've... You're experienced in having taken them before. This was mostly was supposed to be for Sam. Do you want to tell the listeners what it says? Oh, yeah. It says, no one has ever died from psilocybin mushrooms. Right. Behavior on it might be different. Mm-hmm. You know, the behavior is what kill them, but the toxicity of the plant itself is not existent at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would take a lot. So no one has ever died from the mushrooms right. being the cause. Although... That's what I think most people experiencing ego death, you know, if they've never done this before, would think, oh my god, I took something I've never taken before and now I feel like I'm dying. It's the thing that I took, mm-hmm. the mushrooms again. Right. You know. um, here's that website I said, www.tripsit.me. Okay. So this is for if you're alone and you don't have somebody like Chris to tripsit you, then you can go to tripsit.me. This should not be your plan A. <laughs> yeah. Your plan A should be have a sitter that you trust, 
plan B should be don't take the mushrooms and wait for a sitter that you trust. Mm-hmm. Plan C means you fucked up plan A and plan B. <laughs> yeah. And this is like your safety net. So apparently there will be experienced psychonauts on this website at any given time. They just donate their time to uh-huh. it. And you can log in and it's like an instant message chat room or whatever. You can go, dude, I think I'm dying. And then the first thing the person will say is, all right, what did you take? Yeah. And I watched this live because I did like a test run. And some yeah. dude was like, I took ketamine and uh, some other over-the-counter stuff that I don't know what it was. Uh-huh. And they're like, okay, hold on. And they were very good talking through what to do next. Now, the reason I wrote this down is not because I'm going to need it. Because I'm going to be in a confused state. My ability to navigate this website is probably not going to be the greatest. Right, right. But I brought it for you to where if you're like, I've tripped before, but what he's doing is different. But is that just because I've never done it? Yeah. Or because it's not normal? Uh-huh. But all you'd have to do is fire up that website. Now, when you get on that website, the first thing they're probably going to ask you, what did your buddy take? Yeah. Right? So, beforehand, actually, it's not beforehand anymore because things are starting to get wonky. Um, <laughs> you should write down what you took. Yeah. So I'm going to write down the amount I took, which is 3.5 dried grams. I've taken nothing else other than orange juice, and I'm about to smoke pot yeah. <laughs> on the come up. Yeah. Um, and then this is the strain of mushrooms. It's a P-E-S-A. If they're experienced, they'll know what that is. Okay. Say that again. I said I just went to the bathroom. And yeah. My pupils are definitely... Uh, Dilated a little bit. Yeah. And you have that shower curtain that is on in carbonite. Uh-huh. That definitely caught my attention. And I'm like, I'm walking out before I just get lost in that on in carbonite. So Would you like me to move it over so that when you have to use the restroom oh, again? Not at all. Okay. okay. <laughs> Please leave it there. I'm hoping I don't have to use the restroom again for a while. Okay, so we're about 22 official minutes into it. Okay. Probably a Did you set longer. like a stopwatch on there? Or? No, I put my phone in airplane mode because I figure once I start to go to a different uh-huh. place, you don't want to be tempted to message anyone, or... right? And I don't want any messages coming in. Yeah. You know, if I'm in this super crazy, you know, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this beautiful light or uh-huh. whatever, even if it's just light on the back of my eyelids, who wants to have that ruined by? Thanks. You know, don't forget to pick up eggs. Uh-huh. <laughs> Something dumb like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then you start thinking about eggs, the most mundane Yeah, exactly. Thing. Eggs, the source of all life. <laughs> 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 We're not even high yet. Well, I am, I guess, <sighs> But... I just enjoy having entertaining conversations <laughs> yeah, with you like that. I'm like this it. is like completely out of the norm. Like, that's... The experience in itself of just hanging out with you while you're doing this is enough for me to be, to enjoy it. Right, you know I, I mean? gotcha. I told Sam. Whatever I'm else doing. is icing on the cake, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And you did bring cake. I did bring cake. <laughs> <laughs> and icing, not just cake. Right, yeah. That would have been a shitty move to just It was just cake with yeah. no ice. Like, who does that? But yeah, I, I definitely think that... Uh, this is going to be an experience that I will enjoy just being along with you. you know? I hope so. 
Like nice. I said, there will be a period where I probably just want to be alone by myself. Yeah. I get it, man. Alright, we're back. Get super introspective. Oh, yeah. That's the goal. Uh, I definitely felt like a wave kind of just pulsed when I was trying to fucking explain that to uh-huh. you. So we should probably go smoke. <laughs> okay. Soon. You can do that. And I definitely can't uh, figure out my iPhone. Can you borrow your lighter, please? I want to know you. I want to find you in every season, in every moment. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. The experience. What you're about to hear was recorded live during the experience of being on psychedelics. This is an audio medium, and even if it weren't, it's not like I could have recorded any visuals from the experience. The only thing that remains is the residue inside of myself. But I'm going to try to explain some of the visuals that I witnessed for you, the listener, so that what you're about to hear will be that much more rich and vivid. Chris and I decided to shut off the recorder at one point, right as I was coming up on the cresting the roller coaster, I guess you would call it. And we started talking about podcasting because that's what we were doing. We were recording. For a podcast. And we started talking about the podcast that we like and which podcasts we listened to that were different from each other. The fact that we were both lucky that we get to listen to so many podcasts because uh, we both have jobs where it's okay for us to have headphones in all the time. And that's when things started to get really, really weird. And I started to visualize the way that Chris and I were both having these very different experiences of what podcasts we listen to. And let's face it, podcasts are a small part of the internet. Not everybody enjoys them. Not everybody's even heard of them. And not everybody's explored them. But what Chris and I were articulating in our discussion suddenly leapt to life. And I'm not saying that my visual comprehension of Chris was obscured by a three-dimensional object, but it was more like I could perceive everything that was going on in the room with Chris on one level, but on this other level, I was seeing vivid images at the same time, but they weren't overlaid. The easiest way to explain that is that the visual representations I was seeing that weren't in the consensus reality were a product of some kind of another sight. A third eye, I guess you would say. Before I digress anymore, here's how it represented itself. As we started talking about the different podcasts and different shows we chose to listen to, it was like I saw a decision tree model coming out of Chris and coming out of myself. And each podcast that we chose to listen to 
excluded all other podcasts, and that decision node on the tree lit up orange, and all the other possibilities went dark and faded away. And then, as we recounted the way we found certain podcasts, each recounting would spring forth these nodes that were kind of lit up in a darkened purple color. But once we articulated that we had chosen a specific podcast, the purple nodes disintegrated and fell away, and the node that was chosen lit up bright orange. Through the course of our conversation, I realized the internet is this vast, vast place that no matter what I do, and no matter what Chris does, we can never explore it all, which means we can never have the exact same language to articulate our experiences on the internet. And then it was like there was a physical shift in me, and it pulled back and realized the same way I explore the world of podcasts on the internet is the exact same way I explore the quote-unquote real world. And right now what I was doing is I was exploring the life experience of Chris. And Chris, by having a conversation with me, was exploring the life experience of Jordan. And we were each trying to get just a little bit more insight into what the hell this vast, darkened, purple decision tree of the other was. But each time I chose to ask Chris a certain question or to make a certain comment, those were my decisions on how to explore the subject of him. And I realized that Chris was a vastness, that I was just snaking my own decision tree through to try to understand what was going on. And I was seeing these as lit up nodes every time I would make a comment the infinite other comments I could have made fell away into the vastness and only the comment that I actually made was left lit up bright orange I could digress about this for a while but the crux of the matter is this once I start, had that starting point of the internet, it was like that was a spinning disc that could stretch out for infinity. You could imagine a spinning disc just going on as far as the eye can see. After all, isn't that what our galaxy or the universe is like? But I could only know a small portion of it. But then I saw all these different ways of viewing life as just moving to a different, equally infinite spinning disc. As I started to think about religion... That was just a separate spinning disc to try to explore the universe, to try to get to know everybody on this different level. And then philosophy came into it, and that was a spinning disc. But all these spinning discs suddenly were their own nodes on a much larger decision tree. And that decision tree was how to view the world. Your worldview is just another choice on this giant infinite decision tree. So what does it all mean? And that's what I was thinking. I kept thinking about 
exploring different religions, but the psychedelic vision showed me that all these different religions were just nodes on a spinning disc. And kind of like that toy, the viewfinder, each time I thought about a different religion, I was just clicking that orange lever on the viewfinder, changing my view, but I was still on the same spinning disc. It's just another choice. I had to think about this, so I went into the bedroom, I lied down on the bed, and that's the first time I put the mindfold down, which is basically a blindfold, but more comfortable, it has foam, and it completely blocks out all light, and you can open your eyes with it on, and still be in the dark. The second I put that mindfold down, a visual exploded in front of me, I mean, it took up everything. And it was this dark, again, giant, purple-colored machinery that just seemed to stretch out into the, the darkened vastness behind it. I could only see the, kind of the front of the machine, and all these gears and mechanical parts were moving, but the front of the machine had two small spinning circles, one to the left, one to the right and one giant spinning circle in the middle, and they were all rotating, like click, 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 click. It was clear that this was some sort of a combination lock, but there was an emblem on each wheel. It wasn't a skull per se, I don't think. It was, but it was like a death's head emblem, colored yellow and blue, these very psychedelic, you know, colors, purple, yellow, blue. And at the same time that I was perceiving this, I heard a voice that said as clear as day, you'll never crack the code. And that visual and that voice made me realize that the code I'll never crack is what happens after you die. No one's ever come back and said what happens when you die. Even Jesus didn't come back to tell about what happened on the other side. So, while we make these infinite decisions here, there's an area of the decision tree that we cannot explore. It's like it's been locked. That's what it means, I'll never crack the code. I'll never break that lock. Except then it dawned on me. I can easily crack that code. But that would mean something pretty dark. The only way to find out what's on the other side is to go there. And if you go there intentionally, we call that suicide. And when I started thinking along that line and going down that train of thought, my body started to feel cold. It was like swimming in a lake. If you haven't swam, swam in a lake before, forgive me, but this is the best analogy I can think of. In a lake, a lot of times what happens, especially in the summer, is that the sun comes out and heats the water on the surface, but there's a layer of water that doesn't get warmed, and it just stays the same cold temperature mostly at a constant. So if you're swimming in a lake 
and you go underwater or you really stretch your legs down, it's like you can feel a layer of separation and it's a layer of temperature. And all of a sudden, you're warm one moment and then a part of your body that starts to go down gets colder and colder. And when I started thinking about suicide, that's what it felt like, was dipping my body into a layer I'm not supposed to go in. And it felt colder and colder. But the next thought that came pulled me right out of it. And it said, that's not a decision you'll ever have to make. Because that decision's already been made for you. As soon as you were born, you were destined to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to find out what's on the other side of that lock. So that's when I realized, of course. Why worry about it? It's both completely locked and completely open, wide open at the same time. So it is in that mindset and with those visuals that I continued on the psychedelic journey. Okay, speak normally. Okay. So, I don't know if it's gonna be funny now that I know I'm being taped because I'm gonna be self-conscious, but that's another level of the game, so being self-conscious. Don't you see, we all make choices about everything we do, infinite choices. Yeah, everything that we do is a choice. Well, oh, that's what is so funny. Because when I put this thing down, it all makes sense in computer programming metaphors to me. But of course it would. Because I'm the vessel through which it's being viewed. Uh Uh-huh. So what's behind the vessel that's being viewed? Well, all these other religions will tell you that they have the answer, right? Right. And they might, but Zen Buddhism is a trap because once you start thinking like a Zen Buddhist, and you think that all other religions are choices, but it, right? You're still in binary. Uh-huh. Well, you're in binary in any religious mold, you know. Um, why are you in binary thought? Because you're going to be stuck in that mode until the day that you die. Yeah, there's no way to not be in binary. There's no way out of the riddle, which is the philosophy of Zen Buddhism. Right. So you can never get out of it. I don't know if I articulated that spiral correctly, but it's a spiral. It's a philosophical spiral that you can never get out of. Yeah. And that's what's so funny, is that you don't have to get out of it. Because it's already... That's it. That's the part that's so funny. Answer to the riddle is death, because you don't have to worry about it. It's already... That choice has already been made for you. Right. You know? You know... There's no longer a choice to be made at all. No choices to be made. Right. Which means that it's all true. It is all one, which is what that teaches you. 
is what I'm seeing in computer code. Yeah. <laughs> on this thing. And but then it matches the shit that we were talking about earlier. Uh-huh. You know, and these pat oh the infinite pattern. So if you follow an infinite pattern, you know. Fuck damn it. That is funny. So do you feel like the thoughts are coming to you faster than you can articulate them? Probably. But I'm also it's like I can see the concepts. Yeah. But putting them into words is difficult. It's not like I'm seeing them... It's like I'm seeing it with my fucking third eye and I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that... Them talking about this stuff opening your third eye... There is a way that you can see it that's totally different that's hilarious... Because that's just another choice, too. Whether or not to do psychedelics, that's another choice. Yeah. Whether or not to do everything is a choice until... So why worry about it? Which is another choice. (laughs) But we all have to... That's the Zen Buddhist way of thinking. Do you think... So it leads you right back to... Be great to everybody. Because they're all true. That's the message of all these religions, is we're all brothers, we're all one, all that stuff. But don't you see? That's another choice. (laughs) Do you consider this a learning experience for yourself? I consider that I've been on a spiritual voyage with this stuff, you know? Um, But I feel like a lot of the things that I've gotten focused on have had a philosophical under current, you know, and that they've all been flowing into one spot, but don't you see, that would be to make another choice. Yep. It all comes back to that. Yeah. It's all weird to see life like that in its structure of choices, but it's okay because your program is always going to terminate after so many lines of code or run. It's in your code. But we can break out of that code. Don't you see? That's another choice. (laughs) Whether or not to break out of the code. And don't you see? That's another choice. You have to choose another philosophy that fits that. that And don't you see? Wouldn't Zen Buddhism be a good one? Ah, but that would be a choice. (laughs) Fuck! It's a trap! You can't get out of it. What a weird way of thinking. But what a great way of thinking. Well, a lot of people that are in your position can't even come close to thinking about death in a positive manner. Man, nobody talks about it. That's the problem. But but I think that it's a heavy topic for a lot of people that have just had the fear instilled in them Uh forever. You know? But if you just, you know, if you just... uh, look at it a little differently or look at it try to look at it positively if if your teaching has allowed you to do so at all you know then yeah then it becomes easier over time to talk about it because everything is a choice is what I'm saying right Right. down to your religion is just a choice to avoid that one topic but that one topic is what we have all in common Right. You know. 
I think the world would probably be a better place. But we never figured out the answer to that damn riddle, did we? <laughs> and we won't. And that's what's so funny. See how it flips? It's like sunrise and sunset. Yep. That's, uh... So, opening yourself to this bigger religious interpretation, if you think of that as a wheel of choices, right? But now I'm speaking of Egyptian religion and philosophy as if it were true, too. Which it is, because they're all true, because they're another choice. That's a weird way of thinking, too. But the problem with society is that, uh... People think the choices are made for them. Depends on your intake of TV. Absolutely, one hundred and ten percent agree with that. I I even end up turning off the radio when commercials come on. Yeah. Oh. Buy so, this. Buy this. Buy this. Shut up. You know. I was. Let that. me let me think about something. Yeah. And when you think, this is the conclusion you get to. And that's when you realize that all that shit on TV doesn't matter. Right. Because they're all just choices, so make your own choices. Try to. And that's a psychedelic way of thinking, I think. So maybe they're right. Maybe it does open that third eye. Maybe it doesn't. (laughs) It's only your perception. The weird web of interactions on this planet we have. With one another. Yeah. That's a weird web. And some people send some crazy vibrations through that web with the choices that they make. Most of them are to avoid, I think, living a life worth living. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the stupid nine to five structure doesn't help with that. You know, the shift structure? Yeah. Where you have to fucking work in the middle of the night you don't have to do that shit cause they <laughs> need people to work that they need who needs <laughs> I yeah and while there are actually needy people um I was gonna mention earlier I really like time travel stories because it messes with that idea of choice yeah yeah and I was going to mention well, a certain the multiverse shit. Yeah, the certain scene in a, in a in a book by Stephen King, uh-huh. which is all time travel. The entire underlying thing is time travel in the book, you know. Uh-huh. And this guy messes with the timeline by saving JFK. And, and yeah, we watched a TV show based on it. But in his story, he goes back to his normal time to see how he changed things and it's like desolation and uh he meets a guy who he knew in his original timeline like a friend of his uh huh he speaks to him and he tells him that there was a peace concert by the Beatles yeah and a terrorist attack caused Paul to go blind well and like See, and wow. just thinking about these alternate ways that things could have happened. Yeah. Like, because they could have happened an innumerable amount of ways. But they only happened one way. Yeah. So, so, I don't know. That was just interesting. That's why that interests me, to think about the multiverse. Well, the multiverse is in 
the choices that we make to avoid the ultimate question, which is why we're talking about the multiverse, which is what makes everything so funny. (laughs) It's a trap. Damn it. We're back. Oh. No, but it's a good philosophy to live by. I like that this is what... This is the road that you chose to go down today. Yeah. Well, I didn't choose it. (laughs) I put the mindfolds on and I socked them computer code. Yeah, but you chose to do that. Yeah, I know. It's... I don't know. I like the path that your mind is going down. But don't you see? The interaction we're having right now is just another pattern. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's all choice. Right. Because it's all computer code. Because it's all binary, because it all comes down to You're like you're like the program that's outside of the code right now. I know. <laughs> but don't you see I wanna start a don't you see counter. I've always said that a lot of times, like I'm on the not seeing side. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. You know what I mean? And that's the answer. This is all how you treat people. Funnily enough, some famous people have said that shit and got shot in the head or nailed up on a cross. That's a pretty big one. But people forget he got nailed up on a cross for wanting to treat people all the same, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. Okay, so what I was going to say was what I put my mindful down. I'm sorry, I'm very excited to talk about this stuff because I don't get to talk about philosophy with fucking anybody, man. Right. Nobody talks about because nobody talks about death. They don't deal with it honestly. Like with their family members, in a way, it's like, dude, it's coming for you too. Um, I'm surprised people don't talk about it. But so anyway, what I saw was when I put the mindful down. It said, uh, or I heard a voice. No, my it didn't sound like mine. And I know this is schizophrenia territory, but please keep in mind. I don't think it's abnormal whatsoever. It's okay. Well, it's not abnormal when you get to the end of what I'm about to say. (laughs) It's Alan Watts, I think, referred to it as the philosopher's problem. Okay. But many philosophers are talking about this to where if you can break life down into binary... This is what I was trying to describe. I think I can articulate it now. If you try to break it down into what's going to happen when you die, and when you don't, or no, this is how I started it. If you put it on a number line, all right, and you have your death, and you have all the time before you, and all the time after you. <laughs> just forever man yeah it's infinite you know so once you understand the concept of infinity that's the first step it's like a step up a philosophical ladder if you can conceive of the number line with a first you have to conceive of a positive and a negative you know what I mean and that's all these religions that tell you that a specific thing is going to happen, you know, on what you're doing, you're still making a choice. Everything's a choice. If God's infinite, it's on like a number line, you know, it goes this way and that way. But, I don't know how to describe it, it's so funny. It's all 
all of philosophy and all of religion is trying to solve which side of the number line are you going to fall on when you die. Mm-hmm. So when I put this thing down, it just said, you'll never crack the code. Which, funnily enough, is the philosophy of Zen Buddhism. And it's a philosophical code that I can't crack. So it's like computer code. Which might mean I'm in hell? No. I don't think so. But don't you see? That would be a choice. That would be a side of the number line. Yeah. But if it's all... Oh my gosh, it's so funny. You can never crack the code. Anyone who tells you they cracked the code has not cracked the code. And then you think about, well, who made the code? But then you get back into that level of territory. But then if you can use that as metaphor, you break into this other level of territory and you think, ah, I'm enlightened. But don't you see? You never solve the riddle. And that's what you'll never crack the code means. Isn't that funny? Yeah, You'll never great. crack the code. God is an excellent computer code programmer, man. That is... Which means God's real. I think. But don't you see? That would be another choice. But the philosophy that led me to God is the philosophy that says there is no isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, it's... Damn it. That's an excellent computer trap, God. Thanks <laughs> a lot. I'll play with that for a little bit, I guess. Because <laughs> that's all you've given me. Tinker Toys philosophy. Hamlet has a soliloquy about it. To be or not to be. That is the question. Oh, man, we can have that happen. It's a Hamlet? Yeah, it's called Soliloquy from Hamlet. I think that I can look it up. Below my fucking mind right now. I'm just gonna I'm gonna set this next to you. And it will it will pick you up fine. You can philosophy is pointless. Don't you see? <laughs> That's the point. I think this is what you're looking for, sir. Yeah. Oh, this is good stuff. So nobody ever thinks about this. Oh man, it's so fun. <laughs> All right. Do you want to? Do you want to just rant while that's recording? Yeah, I'm just gonna read this out because it's so okay. funny. I'm gonna. I need to go in here. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Just uh, set my phone off to the side. It just, okay. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them to die, to sleep no more, and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, is a consummation devoutly to be wished to die 
to sleep. To sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. And that's what's so damn funny. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, this fucking computer code that's got it locked. Oh, that's what's so funny. The infinite loop is the lock, son of a bitch. Damn it. Which means God's real. Which is the trap. That's so fucking funny. Okay, so... When we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time? The oppressor's wrong. A proud man's contumely. The pangs of despised love. The law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietus make with a bare bodkin. Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life? But that the dread of something after death. undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have that's what's so fucking funny gosh damn it bear those ills we have and fly to others that we know not of thus conscience doth make cowards of us all and thus the native hue of resolution is sickly or with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pith and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action step four coming down focus on the tree <laughs> all right so between good and evil all right so i don't know exactly what you said Man. to me all right so there's this i've been reading about mahayana buddhism and what that says is that everything is one right and we're also separate so that's their philosophy Right. Damn it! That is the point. The tree. That's all. all right. That's all I can remember to bring you back to. So the idea in uh, Mahayana Buddhism is that well, we're all one, but we're separated. You know, mm-hmm. and we're separated. Um, fucking shit. Alright, so it's at every fucking level you think about this problem, which is what proves that it's infinite. So, they believe that there's a separation, the veil, you know, so there's oneness, and then there's cut off from oneness, which is what we're in right now. But then there's some people that, I'm not saying that I'm fucking enlightened, so when I explain this, what is that? Alright, so... 
I know I'm gonna lose it when I come down off the shit. So, right there you have the binary code. The separateness and the oneness. So you throw Mahayana Buddhism out the fucking window, that doesn't solve anything from a philosopher's standpoint, right? Uh-huh. Well, maybe it does from a certain philosopher's standpoint, but it's still the binary decision is there. Every level you think about the problem, except when you think about the day you're going to die. That's what proves the code. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's an infinite loop. Did that make sense at all? It did, yeah. The binary nature of everything we describe, everything's in binary. Heaven, hell, you know, separateness, oneness. That's the code. That's the fucking mandala. That's the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The fucking that's what I believe anyway, is that it's written in the first fucking line of the code. Looking at things differently. But you can't until the day that you die. But aha. Uh-huh. That's the point. You're you're splitting it into the day you're gonna die and the day you're not gonna die. So if you don't make that split just be nice to people all the time, man. Mm-hmm. You know? That's the road I've been traveling. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I yeah. tried to... That's the computer code part. I, so, that's what they say the philosopher's problem is. If you sit there and think about philosophy long enough, the nature of being, what is a thought, what is a mind, what is a this, what is a that... You get to thinker and non-thinker, right? Uh-huh. But who's observing the thinker and non-thinker? Aha, but don't you see? That's the point. The lock is the proof. It's an infinite... It's an infinite lock. The no-guide-God question is really what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. It's an infinite lock because... See what I'm getting at? I do, yeah. I absolutely do. At least that's the way I'm understanding it on these fucking mushrooms. You'll never crack the code. (laughs) I don't know if the death part is translating, but it's a morbid thought. It's a morbid starting point, let's put it that way. It is, but... Start from the end. But that's what... They say about the binary code. Yeah, uh, so that's our choice. Po- I just made another choice. You can make it. You can make it a positive thing. It doesn't have to be more of a thing. It's oh, both, it's also absolutely positive. It's no, I think you could work it the other way. Yeah. But but that would just end pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> that movement ends quick. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> With a stack of dead enlightened people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm enlightened, but you get what I'm saying. If you took it, or saying that they were either. No. Yeah. What I'm saying is... They certainly convinced themselves that they were. But don't you see? That's the point. Convincing each other. Of what? But don't you see? Yeah. That's the point. One of my college professors got kind of mad that I brought up a, uh... 
I brought up one of those mass thing, suicide things. Yeah. The Jonestown one uh-huh. in class one time, he got kind of irritated, like, oh, did he? that I even brought it up. Oh. It's like, okay. well, it's a thing that happened. Yeah, I brought it up Why too. can't I talk Actually, about it? Actually, our books had a picture of it. And it's See this? And, nice. Yeah, and that's... It was like a foot sticking out of a cat, and that was like it. I don't remember hearing about it until uh, in college, but... That's um, where the whole phrase, drink the Kool-Aid, comes from. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, we didn't really... I guess... It was a sidebar, definitely, though. It was like, you could read the main textbook, yeah. social studies or whatever the hell I'm sure called. that it was in encyclopedias and stuff, yeah. but when I was a kid, but, like, it just never came yeah. up or whatever. I don't, I don't even remember what year that happened. Oh, it's just something? like that infinite fucking web I was yeah. describing. That Early no matter which 80s, way, I think. but don't you see, that proves it. <laughs> can't get the munchies. Yeah, break out that cake, man. Do you want some? Not right now. No. Right now. Just, just think about this riddle. I think I'm going to go lay down and think about this riddle a little bit. More. Okay. Oh. I'm going to I'm going to turn the Okay, go. Is the ultimate conclusion that you come to is that uh, it is all you know that whole apart separate thing or whatever. If the fucking code is infinite, then so are you. And that's the fucking... It is. Step 5. Integrating the experience. In the book, The Psychedelic Experience, by Leary, Metzner, and Albert, one of the things that they suggest is that When you plan to do a psychedelic experience, you should give yourself at least three days afterwards, if possible, for integration. I took this advice to heart, and my experience was on a Friday evening. The next day, I had all to myself. My family was out of the house. Sunday, I also had no plans. I am really glad that I did this because I feel that that time was valuable. Saturday morning I got up. I have to tell you, honestly, I felt on top of the world as I just did chores around the house by myself, doing dishes, folding laundry, and reflecting on what had happened the night before. I could digress a lot on my thoughts after, and it could probably be a whole nother companion podcast. But I think the easiest way to approach this topic of integration and to put some sort of punctuation mark on this whole experience is to read what I wrote in my journal on Saturday, tell you about another experience I had that same day, and then see if we can put a punctuation mark on this. One disclaimer I have to make before... I read out of my journal is that I'm not a scholar I'm not a seer I'm not a sage I'm not a seraphim I'm just a seeker with that in mind I'm sure a lot of the concepts I'm about to talk about and have talked about uh, previously in this episode I've probably gotten wrong but don't you see if I were able to come over 
to someone else's way of thinking by thinking I was wrong. That would just be another choice. Another keyhole on the spinning disc. So let's, let's get into this. You'll never crack the code. Free will is the perfect maze. The perfect do-while loop. After all, it's just another choice. Another iteration of Boolean logic. Binary. The branches of the decision tree are infinite. The only thing that breaks the loop of choice is the moment we die. The perfect lock. But God and all his designs being infinite means we just move from loop to loop, which in turn form the instructions of another loop. You could think of life as loop A and death as loop B. The starting point for loop A being birth, the ending point of loop A being death, but don't you see death then would be the starting point for loop B, and birth the ending point for loop B. Now we are in the mandala. But birth and death are units of measure we have placed atop this beautiful algorithm to mark time, because that's all we can do since we're locked in duality. Except while we're here, we can choose the lens of life through which we look. After all, it's just another choice. If you remove the measurements of birth and death from the lens, what we're left with is a perfect, infinite circle. No points, no direction, whole. And yet, here we are, still making choices. Choosing to communicate. I'm choosing to communicate this right now. Because we are stuck behind the lock of choice. So the question is, why put a lock on something? To scare you? To rob you of hope? Or to keep you right where you're supposed to be? And that's what's so damn funny. The locking mechanism is the lock, key, and the reason all in one. Paradox. Hilarity. The locking mechanism is free will. Choice. This is the Philosopher's Stone. And that's what's so damn funny. There's no freedom to be had. We are all prisoners. We are all free. We are all lost. We are all found. Remove the binary, and you are whole. Except you can't, so you are separate. The door is both completely locked and completely open. Wide open. Narrow is the way. Broad is the way. When you know where you're going, you can act accordingly. And where we're all going, the one thing we have in common is the day that we die. So when you know you're where you're going, you can act accordingly. But how do we act? We need to realize that we live in a four-dimensional, transmissional substance. I say it is transmissional because with free will, or choice, as the smallest building block of existence... We create the causal existence, the branching decision tree. But we branch out our decisions not into empty space, 
but into a shared substance. Within this four-dimensional goo, our free will branches into, joins, and collides with the decision nodes of other entities, as well as the very existence of the other, the end result of which is an infinitely growing web of free will and causal reactions. Sometimes this can give the appearance of chaos, a loss of complete control. But free will, the ability to choose, is the order in the chaos. Our will permutates the medium that surrounds us by shaping the branching network. In other words, how we treat others matters because it shapes the larger reality we all share. Or as it was put in the movie Gladiator, what we do in life echoes in eternity. This is why we don't have a dying problem. We have a living problem. Now that's what I wrote that Saturday. Now I still had more of the, the day to myself. So since I had a living problem, I felt like I needed to get out of the house, go live, go somewhere I haven't been for a while to continue to reflect on my experience. At first I thought I was going to go to the botanical gardens. That seemed like a good thing to do, except my free time was winding down, and I knew if I went to the gardens I would want to spend a long time there. But I was headed into the city, and the thought popped into my head that I'd been meaning to go to the Cathedral Basilica in St. Louis for some time to go look at the amazing artwork and architecture. And I thought, that's a really good place. That's as good a place as any. After all, it's just another choice. So I went there. Except that it didn't quite turn out how I planned. When I got there, they were having confession. Catholic confession. I've never been to confession. My worship is in the Protestant node of the decision tree. But I thought, it's just another choice. So I stood in line and I went to confession. There apparently are two sides of the confession booth you can choose to go in. One has a screen and one is just a chair right next to the priest. I didn't want a screen. I wanted to be with the priest. So I went on the side with the chair so I could see him and talk to him, man to man, face to face. And I got in there and I just looked him straight in the eye and I said, I've never been in here before, I don't know what to do. But I do have something to confess. And he was very gracious. He allowed me to go on. And I said, Father, I have to tell you, I feel like I'm losing my faith in hell. And I said, I don't even know if that makes sense. And he said, well, can you explain it a little bit more? And I said, look, everything I know of God is love. It's redemption. Everything that's experientially happened to me in relationship to God has been loving. And I just can't reconcile that kind of a God to a God that would send people to this place called hell for eternal torture. And what he said to me was, 
Well, I think your picture of hell is the problem. Those weren't his exact words, because I did, wasn't writing them down, but it was the gist. He said, maybe the, you know, what's in your head about hell is the problem. We talked a little bit more. He prayed for me. But I said, Father, I have to ask you one more question. In your opinion, as a, a Christian expert, if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are taught in doctrine to be one, then if somebody of another religion in another country who has lived a life that most would consider good, and all during that life they are calling out the name of one God, but as they know it, when that person dies, are they going to hell? And the priest just told me, I don't think so. Which is great on two levels, because first of all, he's admitting that that doesn't seem to jive with his picture of God either. And on the other hand, he said, I don't think so. He made a decision. He made a choice. And after all, isn't it just another choice? But please don't forget that this point of realization and seeking was all because we have a living problem. But there are some great prescriptions in faith, religious faith, that are just that, prescriptions for how to live. And if you're listening to this program right now and you don't know anything about the Christian tradition, or even if you do, here's the central nugget of how you're supposed to live according to what Jesus said in the Bible. The best spot to read this is in the book of Matthew. And it's kind of funny when you think about this, but Jesus was really was an intellectual rebel. And so people would come around and fuck with him. They would try to stump him, literally try to stump him on by asking questions that they thought they could catch him in a logical trap. So they asked him questions about taxes. They asked him questions about marriage. It was really funny. It was like a question, hey, if there are seven brothers uh, who die... And to look after the wife, they all keep marrying her. When she gets to heaven, who will she be married to? It's pretty funny. But I think the answer to our living problem comes from when they were fucking with them about the laws and the commandments. And they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And keep in mind, there was ten commandments and there was all these other laws. And the Jewish tradition was very heavy into... To laws. If you did this, you might get stoned. If you didn't do this, you might get stoned. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Now, I know I've gone on a long diatribe, and if you couldn't get my perspective or where I'm coming from, then I think I can sum it up 
in five words that were spoken by one of the greatest philosophers of all time. Be excellent to each other. That's it, folks. We're all headed to the grave. Act accordingly. Love each other. That's what my psychedelic experience taught me. And I think that it was extremely difficult to do this episode. And it was extremely difficult to try to articulate my experience and where I was coming from. But don't you see, High Filers? We did it. We affixed an appropriate definition to that Google definition. Because it is the apparent expansion of consciousness to someone that has had this journey. It's so clear. But to someone who hasn't had the experience, it's apparent, more likely than not, to be bullshit. Thank you for listening, High Filers. The journey continues. What we do in life echoes in eternity. No. Yeah.